Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello and welcome to the Shifting Culture podcast in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Today, we have a conversation with Noah Kay, the founder and executive director of Integer Network, an international coaching network that promotes authenticity and wholeness through coaching. We have a great conversation that you're sure to enjoy. So without further ado, let's get to it. Sure. Noah, welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast. It's really exciting to have you. It's really good to have you here. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Glad to be here, Joshua Johnson. What a joy. Thanks, yeah. for, having, thanks for having me on, man. This is Yeah, great. of course. I mean, I've always enjoyed conversations with you. And I think uh, people are going to enjoy hearing from you, Noah, because you're a pretty amazing person. And uh, we've always had really good conversations. Keep going. We can just keep doing this for the rest of the podcast. All right. I'm just going to give you compliments the whole time. How's that? This is going to be the Noah K compliment podcast. That would be the best podcast ever. Yeah, I I hear you. I'm also a three. um, And I need those words of affirmation always. You just tell me how good I am. And I'm I'm great. Let's go ahead and talk about something better than that. (laughs) Well, I'd love to start with your story um, and just all the way back to you growing up, your childhood, and then how did you get into, uh, yeah, into ministry work? How did you get into it and why? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I grew up in a normal family, whatever that means, Um, and outside the D.C. suburbs, mom and dad both in business and we grew grew up uh, in church all the time and since I was a little boy there seemed to be this thing on me I don't know what it was but everyone saw it it's like you have a booger hanging out of your nose and everybody's telling you bro you got a booger don't you see it and you didn't know it was there yeah Uh, it felt like everybody I mean just old women at church and revival speakers on Sunday nights and my mom and my dad and family members and aunts and uncles just kind of proclaiming some type of a call or a, they call mm-hmm. it a calling. Um, I would like to call it an invitation, some sense from God that there was this, you know, des- destiny on my life to serve in some type of full-time vocational ministry or kingdom work or loving and helping people and leadership and influence. And so that was very apparent. And I had a experience of, of a calling experience at 12 years old where it was undeniable that there was some sense of, God's spirit saying, you're, you're, you're being tapped on the shoulder for something of kingdom work for your life. And I'll spare you the details, but I told my mom about that encounter that Sunday night when I was 12 and she just burst into tears. Uh, I've always known God had special things for you. And I'll never forget. I remember where we were in the car on our way home from church that Sunday night. And that was a significant moment. It really was. Um, in many ways, that was a painful process growing up when other people choose your vocation for you. Yep. And there's some really funky stuff buried in all this uh, prophetic calling language um, that really does a number on the identity of a leader. And so I had to work through a lot of that over the last couple decades. Um, you know, when you when you become what everybody else told you you're supposed to be, you yeah. sometimes forget how to figure out who you actually are. Yeah, I went through the, that same process. I was 14 when I heard 
everybody saying that, hey, you're called to full-time ministry. There's yep. prophetic words like, I see you influencing thousands of people. Like, it was something that people put on me, this invitation. And it's, it's again, it's like two decades of work for me to untangle that. And what does it mean for my life and who I am? And I'm just trying to figure out who I am at the moment um, because I, as an Enneagram 3, I could be whoever anybody else wants me to be, right? And uh, I'm sure you <laughs> relate to that. As, and so as you went into it, for me, I looked around and I saw, well, the only thing I could do with this call is to be a local pastor. That's what I did, Josh. Yeah. And <laughs> so how did that work out for you? Dude, that's the only option there was. I yeah, mean, there was, was nothing else. Oh, you're called to ministry? That means you get to be a pastor. Yeah. Lucky you. So that means you need to go to Bible college. Lucky you. So everyone else chose my vocation, and then that naturally chose my school. And so I ended up Bible college. I didn't even have brain categories for other options. Yeah, I knew overseas missionaries would come and speak at our church from time to time, but it was not, for some reason, that category never registered for me. Yeah. So turns out there's thousands of categories, but I didn't know that. And so I did what I thought I was supposed to do. I went to Bible college to become a pastor and I set out to become a pastor and I pastored for 10 years. Wow. And that just led me right to where you'd expect it would. Uh, early midlife faith crisis or church crisis. It was first for me a church crisis. Yeah. And then that led me out of the pastorate into overseas work. Did that for about seven, eight years. That led me into deeper crisis in some ways. Um, and I'm only now finally feeling a convergence of, oh, right. Yes, there was an invitation from God. Yes, there was a call, whatever you want to call it. Yes, I'm wired for leadership, influence, kingdom work. It's in me. It's on me. It's who I am. But boy, oh, boy, the sky is the limit on what it could look like. And it didn't need to be pastoring a local church. I would die if that's all I was doing right now. Yeah. I figured that out like a half a semester. I was like, this is not for me. And then well, I floundered to... floundered through my 20s like, okay, since I'm not a pastor, a local pastor, what do I do? What is ministry? How, how do I live out this calling? And it took me 10 years in my 20s to really figure out what I can do and actually surrender and say, all right, God, whatever you want, you could do it. And then I, I started to pursue life overseas, missions work, yeah. um, and I was fighting it for a long time. But it was because, you know, I knew that I wasn't wired that way. I wasn't a local pastor. I couldn't do that. It would just drive me crazy. Um, but I didn't know what else to do. And nobody was showing me the way. Um, and nobody was showing me a different route. Um, it's lonely. And how can you, you know, what are some ways you could talk to some people now as they're going through this process? Um, and how can we point people into a broader direction of what kingdom work looks like? What a good question. I mean, look, this is what comes to my mind. This is what's been working on me. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It It's all connected and it all belongs. So it it's all gods. We're all gods. Mm -hmm. So this category, we're all gods, meaning possessive, we belong to him. We're not yeah. little gods. <laughs> this categorizing some things as holy and other things as not holy is uh, just not healthy. And so we, we need to understand, I think that I wish I would have realized much earlier that it all belongs and marketplace mission matters. And you know, everyone is participating in this society, this kingdom that Jesus imagined and invited mm -hmm. us to create. And I mean, we hear it. It's kind of trite. Like we need Christian plumbers. We need Christian lawyers. I, but it's, it's true. We, we need yeah. Christian everything. Yeah. And Jesus following people in every sphere and, and, you know, section of society. And so that's how the yeast goes into the dough of the world, you know, mm -hmm. and I want to be like that. So it's, it's more about how am I wired, what brings me joy and life, and finding that, then I'm going to give the biggest bang for the buck to the world. I'm going to yeah. be alive on the inside and I'm make the biggest difference. But man, these little limiting categories of what is quote unquote 
the the M word kills me, Joshua. (laughs) Ministry. That word is dangerous. What does this even mean? Yeah. It's now in modern organizational church and modern Christianity is a very specific definition, ministry of like things that are godly and everything else is non-ministry or secular and it's ungodly. I think I'm calling BS on that, bro. Yeah. There's really not that divide of sacred and secular. I'm in business now and ministry. So what am I in ministry or ministry? <laughs> Come on. The categories, they've harmed me for years. I'm so glad I'm free. Yeah. Uh, that's excellent. And so because they've harmed you, and I think also probably this uh, certainty complex um, and growing up with something where if you're not certain, if you're not 100% certain about faith or about this ministry work or whatever, uh, there's a problem there. Um, is that really a facade? Is certainty a facade? And if so, how do we get rid of it? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, certainty is, yeah, it harmed me for so long. I, I think it's, it really is advent, adventures and missing the point. I mean, certainty this is what I say oftentimes, uh, this will help break me from the need for certainty. Well, I read a book called The Sin of Certainty by Peter Enns, which I really love. Yeah, it's good. But you know what did it for me? I have a friend who works at NASA and um, she inspires me, Dr. Strawn. And she, she's my age. I mean, don't picture some old woman like she's like really young and spry like me. But she has taught me things through the years. But at the end of the day, NASA, for example, studies physical things like that, that are, that, that yeah. is, that exists like stars and galaxies and, and, and moons and planets and all this stuff. And they, if they've discovered one thing, they've discovered that they know precious little mm. about the unbelievable expansiveness. They know precious little about what is. They've only scratched the tip of the iceberg in exploring and naming and seeing and discovering and understanding that which is physical. Hmm. And they are, there's an entire governmental department and global movement committed to it with billions and billions of dollars just to see and understand that which is physical. And they can't do it. And if that's the case, and then we the people of God, the church think that we have somehow figured out and can explain and put into a list or a book or a doctrine, that which is spiritual, we are kidding ourselves. So if you, you can't even freaking explain that which is physical, and then you think you've cracked the code on the one who has put it all in place and can explain and define and box it up and tie it and put a bow on it and tell people this is how God is. This is what he looks like. This is what God wants you to believe. Boom. This is a, it's, it's, it's laughable. Yeah, and so uh, that whole thing is what pushed me over the edge to go, oh my goodness, there's so much more going on here. There's so much mystery. There's so much we don't know. And it just fills our hearts with humility and awe to get yeah. caught up in a story of the divine that's bigger than we could ever know or tell we can just begin to touch and taste and smell it and it's good but man it's way beyond the stars or galaxies it's it's yeah you get you get what i'm saying that that's for me what did it you can tell i feel this thing in my bones. yeah you feel it you feel it i think you know and paul was saying one of the requirements of of eldership is to embrace the mystery of the gospel um and it's and i think that actually goes against being sure and certain of everything you know even the disciples as they go up um at the end when jesus ascends and gives the great commission right they worshiped him but some doubted there was some doubt in the midst of this incredible resurrection right in front of them with their eyes that they see jesus but they doubted in the midst Mm -hmm. of it and he uses that doubt and a foundation of doubt in the Great Commission to go and build this 2,000-year movement that is beautiful following Jesus and has seen, you know, millions upon millions of people say, yes, let's do this. 
but he used that doubt at the beginning to fuel things. It's kind of interesting. That's fascinating. (laughs) I like what you're saying. Yeah, it's really good. And, you know, a lot of people, Joshua, then are like, you know, I I know the other side of plenty of those conversations. Well, well, then is anything knowable? Are you just saying that anything goes and we just don't know anything? It seems like relativism or humanism or this or that or whatever it is. And, and all the slippery slope warnings and all that good stuff. I mean, I'm, I get it and I'm not being dismissive, but it, it, it has been precious to start to ask, okay, well then amidst all the deconstruction, what does reconstruction look like? What does, what, what does serve as a pillar? What can I hold on to with a sense of confidence and conviction? Um, you know, and, and to me, that's easy. It's like, well, the yeah. entirety of the Jesus way, like the thing he was most obsessed about was articulating, imagining, and 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 initiating this kingdom, this way, this society of how the world mm-hmm. would operate. And to me, it's, it's like easy. Jesus, the Jesus way, the Jesus example, the Jesus life of forgiveness and grace and mercy and justice and peace and love. And I mean, laying our lives down and loving others. I mean, this is the way that transformation happens in our marriages and our families and our communities. And so like, it's, for me, it's like easy. What, what do you, what do you hold on to then? The kingdom that Jesus invited us to bring like that. That's good enough for me. Sermon on the Mount or bust buddy. Like if, that's right. if we can do that, that's enough certainty and knowing for me in one lifetime. Yeah. And I feel that kingdom deep in my soul, man. Yeah. And that's huge. And Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, hey, if you hear my words and you put them into practice, you're going to be the ones to build their house on the rock. Like nothing is going to, you know, you're not going to falter. You're not going to fall. But the ones that don't do it, hey, they're going to build their house on the sand. And I think there we see some shifting sand uh, at the moment. Uh, in this world where we're not building our house on the teachings and the living out of Jesus's teachings. We're building our house on something else. Yeah, so, so how do we, I think, you know, in this, uh, the certainty facade, how do we walk people through this place of mystery and doubt and following Jesus only uh, and his ways. How do you walk people through that? Oh my, who knows? I mean, <laughs> what a great question. I mean, the, the thing comes to my mind is this, uh, just how important it is that we are open-hearted, open-minded, non-reactive listeners and learners. Um, the, the need for security, certainty, knowing, boundaries, rules, boxes, uh, that need creates an inner angst and a spiritual insecurity, I think, that makes us so reactive to other, to other ideas, yep. other people, to other ways of seeing and interpreting the scripture. Um, and I just wonder if the, the way to walk people through it is just to continue to model and encourage just an open and humble heart of listening, mm. learning. I, my, my spiritual journey has brought me to a place where it's, and it's progressive. It goes on for the rest of my life, but where right now, I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find something I'm going to react to you about. Like, no, you don't believe that. Do you like freak out? Like <laughs> we have to just be you know, I don't want to be that spiritually insecure. Yeah. I want to, I, and in fact, I don't know how to be. I'm so sure of the love of God for me, the unimaginable worth of my life, mm-hmm. the inexplainable uniqueness with which I've been created. And so rooted in a sense of self that's connected to the godness within me. The fact that, the divine, the image of the divine, the breath of God, the fingerprints of God went into creating and making me and knowing me and loving me and treasuring me. Like, and, and that, that's my hope for all of us. Yeah. That, that it's led to a place of spiritual security that you, you, I, I couldn't, I don't know how to be insecure in the sense of 
getting threatened by someone's beliefs being different than mine. Wow. And I just think the openness and, well, it's, you know, that's dangerous. I have not, that has not been my experience. That's been dangerous. It's been beautiful. Yeah. It's been beautiful to walk away from a need to know and move into a need to, to unknow and unlearn and walk in humility and listen and, and yes, I, I treasure things. I treasure principles and values. You know that. And I just articulate some of that, which is, I could go on and on for an hour just about the Jesus kingdom yeah, and what he imagined and how much I'm fascinated by it. I mean, it's so compelling. Like count me in for my life. I'll die. Maybe I've done some crazy things, but that'll be, I want my funeral to be like that guy loved people. And he was pretty fascinated with the whole Jesus stuff and he did it and he lived it. And yeah, that's, that's great. So key. So yeah, just moving away from how do you walk people through it? I mean, invite them into the beauty of open and humble living and learning with one another and with the spirit. Yeah. Instead of knowing, knowing is that's, I mean, look at Google. I'll never catch up. I have no desire to, to be the knower. No. That's not even appealing anymore. Like, no, oh, he knows a lot. He's certain. <laughs> Uh, certain what good is that <laughs> that takes all fun out of the game yeah That's nobody like wants no to be a know-it-all yeah no one who's gonna <laughs> win a football game before you watch it uh i wanted to know that when i watched back to the future part two you know i was like i want i want that sports almanac so i could go back and i could know who's gonna win i could bet on some some no sports more. games get some money but i don't want that anymore um and i think maybe part of your your journey and going into to East Africa, um, you were on the field in overseas missions. You're, I think you were coming alive. You're, this was, you know, where you were finding your hearts and your calling. Um, but uh, God had different plans, brought you back to the U.S. And in the midst of not knowing and uncertainty, you're able to birth some new things and see what God had for you um, that made you come alive probably even more. Um, but can you talk a little bit about that journey from East Africa into the States? Thanks for asking. Yeah, we were in South Africa for five years and then transitioned to Tanzania, northern Tanzania. I just wanted to be there so badly. I jokingly told people, so if you're listening and you're from South Africa, please don't be offended. But I told people I want to live in real Africa, South Africa. <laughs> I have a very special place in my heart for South Africa. But yeah, we ended up in Tanzania, learned Swahili in our first year there. But we only made it about a year and a week. And then mm -hmm. our uh, our youngest of three ch children, our 18-month-old son at the time, had a stroke in our home in northern Tanzania. And that was a traumatic and life-altering event. And uh, as you can imagine, all the craziness of what do you do with your child when you're in rural Tanzania without medical care? And he's had a stroke and is paralyzed. Wow. So we medically evacuated him. And oh, boy, what a what a traumatic and tough time for us. Mm. But it was a I tell it like this. It was a double loss. It was the death of a healthier son and the death of yep. a vision a dream uh, in yeah. my heart for for East Africa. We had opened up a leadership training center, a little coaching hub and. Uh, next to our home and we were off to the races and we thought we'd spend five or ten good years of our life investing in East African leaders to try to build integrity and authenticity and grace mm. into their lives and um, it didn't work like we thought and uh, anyway we ended up back in the U.S. it was very painful but we had made the tough decision to move back and reestablish as a family here in America so our son would have the medical care he needed and uh, after six months of being here, I, re I had to answer the question, Joshua, what's next? Like yeah. the whole thing of what am I going to do the rest of my life? There went that plan. Um, and what, what am I going to do when I grow up? And at that point, I, I didn't feel ready to pioneer, mm -hmm. but I knew I was going to pioneer. Yeah. There was a there was a sense in my soul that I was supposed to build something or plant something. I had I had received that message from God already, but I wasn't ready. And so this was way too early. So it was a really tough call. Do I go get a job? Do I get a ministry position, work in a missions organization? What do I do for another eh, five years while I grow up a little more? Cause I don't really trust myself to build something yeah. right now because I'll probably mess it up. And, um, 
so I that didn't work very well. The sense from God was you're as ready as you're ever going to be, and you're going to keep getting ready from now until the day you die. So plant this thing. And so here I was back in the States and decided, all right, I have no idea how I'm going to feed my family, but I'm going to put a seed in the ground. Wow. And I tell it like this. I reached, I had been living in Africa. I've been doing more and more and more kind of just one-to-one care of leaders, the yeah. hearts of leaders, walking with them. We called it discipleship. And then sometimes I flirted with calling it mentoring. And I didn't really know what to call it. But what I knew is that I was a leader to leaders, an influencer of influencers, and nothing gave me greater joy than helping draw what was real in leaders to the surface and help mm. them be as healthy as they could be. So I did my master's on insecurity in the lives of leaders, did a biblical case study on it and did a personal case study because I was the most insecure leader I knew at the time. And so it was just a passion of my heart mm. to help coach leaders to be healthy. And so when it came time to plant this thing, which is now called Integer Network, I reached into my heart and I pulled out the three things that mattered most. And they were authenticity, um, just to just to live real and authentically with each other. Um, wholeness, which by that I mean a healthy heart, alive on the inside, paying attention to the interior landscape, like mm-hmm. just being healthy, like and coaching, coaching leaders uh, to become all that they can be. And so I'd started this thing called integer. Network, integers, a whole number. I want to see whole people. So, and our tagline is those three words, authenticity and wholeness through coaching. And at the time, I did not know what in the world, like, (laughs) what does this mean? I mean, yes, I value authenticity and wholeness and I want to do coaching. So turns out I started a international coaching network that, that worked. And so now we're, it's so funny when I tell the story now, Joshua, because I'm like, literally, I did not know what this would become. So now we're in our fourth year. We're in three countries. We have 17 coaches. This past Saturday, we had an international retreat to talk about where we think we might be in 10 years from now. And I'm telling you what, fun. it is working. And I'm having the time of my life pulling together a bunch of like-hearted people that want to be real, yeah. want to be healthy, want to help others do the same. And mm. that's what we're doing. So we're, we're coaches. We're running events and doing personal coaching to help promote and foster healthy communication and healthy hearts and authentic living. And we wrote a material called integrate and I could go on and on about our work with integer, but I'm loving it. And that's what we're doing. Uh, that's amazing. I think it's so important. I think growing up, I've seen so many, so many leaders um, hurt others because they were insecure and hurt on the inside. Um, and they don't mean to hurt others, but hurt people, hurt people. Right. And, uh, and so how do we get to this place of, of bearing, I don't know, bearing our soul, getting whole, getting healed so that we can lead well and walk people through a sense of authenticity mm-hmm. and wholeness on our own and not hurt others with the process? Uh, what a good question. Yeah, you got to have it to give it. I mean, if, if you don't have it, you can't give it. If I have $5, I can give you $5. But it's really hard to give away that which we don't carry within ourselves. And so uh, we we just have to do the work to gain the goods, to distribute them to those in our lives. And I think the only way we can do the work of awareness and healing and growth is in a context of safe relationship. It's done with other humans. Yeah. And it's done when we feel safe to let that which is embarrassing free, let that which is shameful out. And uh and and so for many leaders and individuals, when they think therapy or coaching, I mean therapy or counseling, yeah. they think, oh, that's too deep, scary, vulnerable, and expensive. When they think of mentoring and discipleship, they might have some hurt and baggage attached to it. Well, it didn't work in the past and I was discipled or I had a mentor and they never even contacted me. They didn't care about me. And so there is this sense of, well, um, I don't want therapy. I don't want counseling. I don't want discipleship. I don't want mentoring. And, and so we, we went with the word coaching because it really does most closely describe what we carry in our hearts to offer. Yeah. And coaching yeah. is, yeah, so coaching is creating a context of safety for a coach to guide a, 
coachy through a process of moving from where they are to where they want to be and creating a safe space for them to let out what's there and to draw them out. So we use Proverbs 20, verse five as a theme mm -hmm. verse. The heart of a man or a woman is like a deep well. One who has insight will draw it out. So the coach is the one with insight mm -hmm. and the coach, he's the that's one that's good. being drawn out like buckets of water being dropped down in the well and patiently pulled up mm -hmm. to expose what's in it. Meaning you have the answers. Yeah. No one is an expert on Joshua Johnson as much as Joshua Johnson. No one has logged as many hours with you. No one has tried what you've tried, done what you've done, been where yep. you've been, related to who you've related to. You are the world's leading expert on who you are. And you just need someone asking you good enough questions, creating a safe enough space, and providing a patient enough process to help you discover the solutions. And that's coaching in a nutshell. And it's helping people make progress. Hmm toward their desired outcome and dream and goal. So, well, yeah, I, I know, like, uh, personally, I think for a lot of my years, I've been a, an observer of myself and not lived with myself. Um, and so mm -hmm. how do we move from observing and knowing the right answer and being able to speak the right answer in a coaching thing to living the right answer and being with me um, instead of observing me. Um, oh, what a powerful question. I don't know. When you figure it out, tell me. <laughs> I mean, we have an entire module in our integrate material on self-awareness, an entire section of our content. So we, we call awareness one of the six ingredients for authentic living. It is right there at the, at the heart of it. Um, so awareness is super key, but I hear you asking, what if we're aware, but we're really not engaging with that awareness or doing anything about it? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think I, I see that as a problem. I've heard a few people talk about it, but I don't know, as me yeah. living in my body, you know, as I'm growing in my self-awareness and my awareness of, hey, I know my triggers. I know a lot of different things. Why do I react the way I react? Every time I get hurt, I could go back in about 30 seconds. I know exactly why in my past, how I grew up, what I did. But I still feel like I, I just observe it. And like, I just know it. And intellectually, I can get to that place of, oh, this was my trigger. But I don't feel, I don't know. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm, I'm living it. I'm not in it. I, I love what you're saying. It's fascinating. It, in fact, um, and I promise this isn't a pimp of a product. It's just a concept that really is inspiring. And that is our South African team. You, I don't you know, Lawrence Skippers, he leads yeah. our country director in South Africa for integer network. And they, they, um, really, really were inspired deeply by the NVC, nonviolent communication mm. content of Marshall Rosenberg's about 26 year old piece of research and, and material about how to foster healthy communication. Mm. And we've rewritten it kind of for our, our network. It's called the Compassionate Communication Workshop, but it, it really gets at what you're asking because here's in a nutshell what it suggests. It suggests that the, the answer to this is to move beyond the intellectual awareness and yeah. move in, down into feelings and further down into needs. So observation without evaluation, I observe this, I'm reacting this way. Yeah. I just noticed, you know, Meredith, that you did this without attaching any sense of evaluation, rightness, wrongness, goodness, badness to it, then moving to the next level and as a result of that observation, I feel this. Most of us have about five operative feeling words. And we need, we could have a vocabulary of 70 or 80, but we haven't cultivated it. Yeah. And this course helps to do that, right? Mm. And so we have a lot more of a word bank to choose from about what we're actually feeling. And then a feeling is always a result of a met or unmet need. So underneath of that, then what's the met or unmet need? So I wonder when you ask the question, if it's a matter of moving from the intellectual to then not only do I see this now, I need to learn to feel this and what yeah. is it I'm feeling. And then beyond that, what is the need, met or unmet need in my life 
that's causing that feeling. And then the last step is then I need to make a request that enriches both my life and yours mm. and strengthens our connection. And maybe that request is of yourself. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that, that comes to my mind as I listen to your question. It's a, it's certainly one framework to think about. Well, I think that sometimes that request requires a lot of vulnerability um, and it requires you opening up to a place where somebody's going to reject you. Um, and rejection is not fun for anybody. Um, right. And But I know that vulnerability is a necessary step to closer connection. Um, and it's a necessary step to, I think, opening people up to more authentic living. Um, but it's a scary process. Um, is it always going to be scary? Like, what are we? <laughs> Man, you're, you're really talking my language today, buddy. I mean, that's, I told you one of the six of our integrate theme is awareness. Another one is vulnerability. There's six themes to authentic living that we've identified. And that's one of them, vulnerability. So you're really up, up my alley with this. Yeah, it, it, it is going to always be scary. But like with anything in life, the more practice we have, the easier it gets. There are times we have setbacks. There are times we a pianist plays a really tough piece and can't quite figure it out and feels ashamed. But for the most part, uh, they longer they play the piano and the more they practice, the better they get. Yeah. Um, vulnerability in that sense, like anything, I think it it is learned, and the more we do it, the better we can get at it. But it it is always emotional exposure. It's always risk. Mm. It never stops being risk. And, and I, I still have vulnerability hangovers where I wish I wouldn't have shared, you know, the next day, yep. you know, we, we, we glean, as you can imagine, a lot from Brene Brown's work on shame and vulnerability and yeah. really inspired by it. But it's always emotional exposure and it's always difficult, but it's also very contagious. So mm. that's part of our work is, you know, thinking in terms of the magnetism and courageous nature of vulnerability. I mean, it mm. draws people to us and it also encourages people to, it's a tit for tat sport. Authenticity yeah. and vulnerability is very much a tit for tat sport. I'm going to test you. If you receive this well and I felt safe, I'll give you more the next time we're yep. at coffee. But I'm going to just give you what I think you can eat of my, you know, my vulnerability. And if you take it in and everything's good, I'll try a little more next time because none of us are, you know, unless we're losing our mind, revealing all to, to, to anyone. That's just, you know, not how we're wired. We're right. afraid. Afraid to be that deeply known and seen. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I think for leaders, we we want, I think there's a line between casting vision confidently um, and being, being vulnerable in a place where, you know, leaders don't really know where they're headed and what they're doing. Like they do, they they want to know, they're, they're confident in it, but really deep down, they're scared scared they're really scared so what what is that what is that uh, line that we because i think casting vision confidently inspires people to continue to move forward um but how do we have that line be vulnerable in the middle of it oh what a timely question i didn't know you were going to ask this because it just happened to me Saturday. What is today? Monday, two days yeah. ago. Yeah. I mean, here's my answer. And some of your listeners may think I've lost my mind. Look, cast vision if you're a vision caster. Be who you are. Don't be who you're not. Some leaders are paralyzed by the idea of having to articulate and cast vision. If that's not your strength, don't do it. Rely on the people around you who have that strength. I don't think that the that vision carrying and articulation and casting is a necessary recipe for effective leadership. I'm sorry. I, I, if you have it, if you got them, smoke them. If you can do it, do it. But if you are just an influencer and a shepherding heart and a magnetic person and people want to follow you, but you're paralyzed by the idea that you have to articulate and share a vision, pull someone alongside you that can. The reason I say that is because contrary to what you might think, I'm not a big visionary. I'm just not. I, I know who I am. I'm an effective communicator. I'm an influencer. People listen when I speak. I'm, you know, a go-getter. I'm highly, you know, driven and motivated, high-capacity leader. I know who I am. I, I've done the work. I'm yeah. still figuring out who I am, and I'm still blind, but I know for the most part how Noah's wired. And I'm not a big vision guy. I'm just not. I don't know. Maybe we'll have a 
campus someday. I, where? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't get these like big ideas. I'm much more of a let's get the right people, the right values. Let's go for it. I'm not a hundred percent sure where we're going. So Saturday I sat with 17 coaches online on our team and we did a vision casting exercise together. Where will this network be in 10 years? Because Noah's not really that sure. <laughs> what we know is that we've got incredible people on the bus, some very strong foundations, some kick-ass values excuse me maybe they're not supposed to be cussing on this podcast go for it great values uh just an incredible sense of community high trust relationships we got all of that in the strengths category i'm not 100 sure what this thing even is some days i mean we're a coaching network and we want to see people live their best lives i mean what you know we, we, we value authenticity and wholeness we coach leaders we do events we do know but where's it going and, and i say that to say joshua it's like let others help you form vision and let vision be revealed as we walk together. What we know today at four years into a coaching network is far more than we knew three years yeah. ago. And what we're going to know at year six, seven, and eight is going to be so much more crystallized and concrete mm. than it is today. So I think this whole balance of vision casting, if you are a visionary vision gallon guy, Go ahead. And if you're not, tell the truth, shame the devil and get the people around you to help you imagine a preferred future together. I mean, it sounds like you are, I don't know, you're getting rid of the myth of the solo leader, um, that there is a shared leadership that needs to happen um, as we move forward. We have to do it together. Um, it's not one person that's pulling it along. It's not the strongman competition pulling the bus behind you. Um, it's spot on. It's spot on. And you don't peep. I still believe in leadership, although I have a much different definition than I used to. And people, I still think leaders are almost always people worth following. They carry some type of influence yeah. in their being that people want to, if no one's following, you're probably not leading anywhere. So people, you have to admit, I mean, people want to follow a leader. People typically want to follow them or they're not yeah. a leader. But I no longer do I think that leader must equal the common popular characteristics, you know. They can get on a stage, they can cast vision, they're amazing at this and amazing, you know, all the books on leadership, all that, a lot of that stuff to me, blah. I think they do, they are people worth following, but primarily because they know who they are and are offering that authentically. People want to follow someone like that. They want to follow a leader who knows who they are and brings their true self, their true gifts to the table and knows who they're not and welcomes others to fill those needs so that we're in this together. Um, so yeah, I think to have to force ourselves into a mold of what is expected to be leader is far less compelling to those following us than just being who we stinking already are. People already know who you are. They're watching you there in Kansas City. They see yeah. your strengths. If you start trying to color outside the lines, they're not gonna be impressed. But I think they will, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I know. They, they see right stuff. through it. They smell it a mile oh, away. Yeah. They see right through it. This is the most real I've ever got to lead where I'm at now. And I'm still mm. wearing masks. You know that. I'm a oh, yeah. so still faking sometimes, yep. but I'm faking way less. Yeah. I'm actually the guy that I'm showing you more now than it used to be. And this season leading into um, has been so rewarding. My mom asked me the other day, what was the most rewarding part of the retreat this past weekend? And I said, just being comfortable in my skin. Mm. Like this false humility stuff I used to have going on. Like it's fading. I mean, I know who I am and I, I know that I'm leading this thing and I could show up knowing that without trying to act all funky about it or do things for ego. I don't yeah. really need that. I already know who I am. So I don't need to do something to prove to you that I'm awesome. If I think I'm awesome, not to sound, you know what I mean? It's, I don't mean to sound self-centered in that sense, but no. we, I often look at myself and say, Hey, you're awesome. Like what, 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 look at what you just said. That is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but then we must stay rooted and humble. That's the key. Oh, 
humbleness. Yeah. Okay. Humility. Um, but it sounds a little bit like Jesus knowing your true identity. Like, you know, as Jesus was baptized, Holy Spirit came on him like a dove. And the father shouts down. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That identity, true identity of who he is as a, a beloved son uh, found in the father. Um, I think if we get to that place as beloved sons and daughters, that we are the beloved, um, we can change the world. Um, there's so much that can happen, but that is that place, that identity place where we need to get to. And if we don't get there, um, we're, we're just a sham and we're putting on a facade. We're not our true self. So true. That is the key. It all flows out of that. And I'll, I'll tell you, Joshua, it's also, uh, maybe this is a little heretical, but I told someone in a phone call a couple weeks ago, they've tried and tried and tried to get a hold of their sense of identity, hmm. memorizing verses, and they've heard every sermon on the love of God and just lamenting that it just doesn't seem to work. Hmm. And I said, well, why don't you try this? Why don't you pause that for a while? Why don't you stop thinking about and cramming in all these ideas about what God thinks of you? Why don't you go figure out who you think you are? Hmm. Why don't you spend the next year on a journey of building a case for how outstanding a guy you are? You're examine your strengths, do some assessments, learn your Enneagram number, see how you're moving into health play around with Myers-Briggs to, you know, do this, do this, ask people where they see your giftedness, mm. build your own case, make a decision that contrary to what divine or God or someone else, you know, some spiritual reality, just take a break and mm. build a case that you actually can start to believe you are special. Yeah. Regardless of a God's opinion of you. Mm. And when you've done that, then add back in, the reality of God's perspectives about you, the beauty of God's, you know, eyes for you and his identity they've spoken over you and your your divine design. Add that back in wow. and see what happens. The reason I recommended that is because that's what I did. Hmm. Um, I, I think when I look back over my journey, it was when I was willing to start to go on on the journey, take the do the work, go through the process of forming a founded opinion about my strengths and beauty outside of just Bible verses and then add the Bible verses. Yeah. Then add the spiritual truth. It seemed to click for me in a wow. way that it hadn't before. I mean, you hear a thousand yeah. sermons of love of God. I mean, God loves you and you're wonderful and God loves you. Okay. After a thousand sermons and you still have identity issues, maybe <laughs> you should try something else. Um, maybe it is true that God loves you, but there's something that has you stuck and it's called, yeah. you don't believe it. Yeah. And maybe you need to build a case to believe it. And then you might believe God believes it. And well, then when you believe it and God believes it, look out. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. I think, you know, I think if we could all go on that journey um, and then say, hey, look, God, and then you bring that back in. I think that's beautiful. Um, yeah. I just have a couple questions at the end that I like to, to ask. Um, one of them is one thing. What's one thing that you would you know now that you would like to, would have liked to know when you were 21, you could tell your 21 year old self that you know now. Oh my goodness. You don't know everything. You just That's don't good. know. There's so much you don't know. It's just, live into the unknowing mm. so much you don't know about finance and about relationships and about leadership and life and people's pain and god and the scriptures and spirituality and the sexuality and and oh my goodness on and on and on and on the world and culture and where do you end i mean you just hey 21 year old noah there is so much to discover stay open, stay humble, keep learning, keep going, keep growing. I, I look back and really, I think I knew, 
I, I acted so certain about so many things and mm. embarrassing. I mean, there's times I wanted to reach out to the congregation I pastored many times and just say, how did you tolerate me? Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, I hope your 21-year-old self listens. Um, <laughs> what's what's something that you've read or watched recently that you could recommend? Read or watched? Well, I'm a reader way more than a watcher, so I don't really watch much, but I am a big reader. Um, and I think I would choose to recommend... Uh, I usually read only nonfiction, mm -hmm. spiritual books, leadership books, more, more, more soul, meditative, contemplative type books. Um, but I'm reading a book right now, actually, by Ian Morgan Crone, who's a big Enneagram guy. But it's a novel called Chasing Francis. Mm. And it's about a megachurch pastor who loses his faith. Uh, right in the middle of a sermon, practically, is fired from the church and goes to Italy to visit his uncle and ends up retracing the steps of St. Francis of Assisi and rediscovering wow. and reconstructing his faith. And it wow. Good. Mm. And I'm, on the, I'm halfway through reading with a friend of mine who demands that I only read one chapter at a time and then have a 10-minute phone call about that chapter. So it's taking me a while to get through it. So read a chapter, have a 10-minute call with him uh, to talk about what God's saying to, to me through it. And it wow. really is a phenomenal book, Chasing Francis. Oh, that sounds great. Sounds great. I, I love Ian Morgan Cron. I think he's he's wonderful. So I, I really want to check that out. That's good. Well, Noah, thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. Um, yeah. And go with God. Be well. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm just praying for you and Integer and everything that you're doing and your family. So I'm honored to have been on. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Noah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, uh, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also leave a rating and review on Apple podcasts. Uh, it really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show and just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.